Dual Citizen, The Connection, Chapter 6. At summer's end, the boys couldn't wait to tell their mom everything. Vera was just as excited to hear it firsthand as she sipped her coffee at the Formica table. The boys also turned off the tiny TV set because Miss Odell was that important. Ma! Freddie shouted. You wouldn't believe how big he was. He just came out of nowhere. But I didn't move. And Freddie straightened and screwed up his face. Tracy rolled his eyes. Yeah, Mom, you should have seen his pop. Granny was in the backyard hanging clothes on the line. The river was down because it was August, but Vera could still see the Kanaw's ribbon over the kitchen sink. Coal cars lumbered along the other side next to the highway. Vera heard the familiar rumble and distant whistle as she rinsed her cup. And Papa shot out the tractor tire! Freddy squealed. Again? Vera asked absent-mindedly. The boys looked at each other as if they were in the presence of a rock star. You were there when it happened? They asked in unison. No, Vera said. But your granny told me about Moody's rabbit hunting many, many times. The boys snickered and dove back into their cereal. Moody was at work as usual. Vera looked over the yard to see how far Granny was with hanging laundry on the line and decided there was enough time. She looked at the back house, the pole at the end of the clothesline, and the cherry tree. Readied, Vera turned to her boys with mischief. Did you know your pawpaw is terrified of snakes? She asked. The boys stopped eating, so Vera knew she had them. When your Aunt Jenny and I were a few years older than you, Vera said, your granny got upset with Papa spending his weekends in the back house. How long would he be out there? Tracy asked. All day, Vera said. Your granny thought Papa should be fixing a gutter or something. She also wanted him to mow the lawn, which was why Papa went out to the back house in the first place. As she said it, Vera realized Moody was exhausted from his two jobs, and she could relate. What a wonderful thing to go out, sit in a quiet, familiar place, and nod off. But he'd go out there and not come back, Vera explained. So your granny decided she'd fix him. The next week, while your pawpaw was at work, your granny got to work plotting her scheme. Vera looked out the kitchen window again. Granny was inspecting her tomatoes and looked at the garden hose, so Vera knew she would be a while. Well, Vera continued, your granny got the drill from the basement and spent a whole day drilling holes underneath the sink. Then she threaded fishing line through the cement wall. The next day, she went out to the clothesline pole and put a tiny pulley just below the grass line and Tracy started drawing it out in his mind. She did the same with the cherry tree on the other side of the yard. But, Freddy began to ask, and Tracy patted Freddy's knee. Just wait, Freddy. We'll understand in a minute. At least I think we will. You will, Vera said, proud of her boys. You see, your pawpaw really is terrified of snakes. 
the boys crinkled their eyebrows, because they didn't think Pawpaw could be afraid of anything. It's true, Vera confirmed. A snake of any kind, no matter how big or small. And the boys relented. So your granny went out and got a big rubber one, the biggest one she could find. And Freddy giggled. That Friday, she spent the whole day laying out her line between the pulleys. Your granny had a whole system. Because the grass was so tall, Pawpaw wouldn't see the fishing line. And Vera laughed, realizing her mother's point about mowing the lawn. By Saturday morning, everything was set, Vera said. After breakfast, Pawpaw went to the back house, and your granny opened the cabinet under the sink. And Vera opened the sink cabinet, and the boys were amazed. She waited for your pawpaw to come out with the lawnmower, but he came out with trays filled with soil instead. Vera mimicked Moody coming across the yard, carefree and whistling, carrying seedling trays. Then she crouched to mimic Granny, watching her prey just above the sink. Then Vera saw the reaction of her boys, who wondered how she knew all this. About that time, Vera said, I walked into the kitchen with your Aunt Jenny, and Mama was all bent down. What in the world? we asked. But your granny didn't miss a beat. Get down! she hushed. So we did. Then your granny turned to us with a grin and said, Watch this, girls. Vera got lost in the memory and acted out what she described like it was yesterday. She hunkered down to the level of the counter. Then she rose to see out the kitchen window. Vera imagined the three pair of eyes, hers, Ginny's, and her mother's peering at Moody as he started across the backyard. So here comes your pawpaw out of the back house, Vera said, his arms stacked with trays full of soil to plant. And here was your granny, waiting for him to get close enough. Vera crouched lower. Then she put her hands out to mimic Granny holding the fishing line. Now, your granny said to herself, and she pulled on that line fast as she could. And Vera pulled furiously on her pretend line. <laughs> sure enough, that rubber snake slithered right through the grass at Pawpaw's feet. And Vera drew a slither through the air, mimicking the snake. Then she stood to pantomime Moody's part. And your pawpaw threw up his trays, pots and soil going everywhere, and he hightailed it to the back house. The boys erupted with laughter, but Vera wasn't done. Neither was Granny. While she waited, Granny got her snake all the way over to the cherry tree, and she got her other fishing line ready to go. After a few minutes, pawpaw came out of the back house again, but this time he had the axe and Vera put a pretend axe in her hands and imitated Moody starting across the yard. Pawpaw came out real quiet, Vera said, and he looked everywhere for that snake. Then he went towards the clothesline, and Vera paused, and the boys couldn't breathe. Suddenly, Granny pulled her line, and her snake came at Moody from the cherry tree, and Vera did it. And Pawpaw threw his axe in the air and ran for the back house in double time. The boys were beside themselves as Vera's eyes glistened. The next time Pawpaw came out with a hoe, 
and Granny had the snake coiled by the clothesline. When Vera mocked Moody's tiptoe from the back house, Freddy got up to join her. Then Tracy watched his mom and little brother tiptoe across the yard with their hose above their heads, ready to kill that snake. Once Pawpaw got halfway across, and Vera went over to the sink to crouch with her fishing line, and Freddy kept tiptoeing. Your granny pulled the other line just as fast as she could. Sure enough, Granny's snake slithered back across the yard to the cherry tree, fine as anything. Vera cued Freddy by drawing a snake slither. Freddy threw up his hoe, screamed, ran in a fast circle, and sat back down before they all collapsed with laughter. They were in such an uproar, none of them knew that Granny had come in. She heard the commotion through the open kitchen window, but passed quietly underneath. Then she made her way up the side of the house to the front yard. After inspecting her hostas, Granny came through the front door. That was about the time Vera mimicked Moody coming out of the back house with his hoe, and Granny appeared in the kitchen doorway to watch the grand finale, performed by Vera and Freddy. I kept your pawpaw out there all day with that rubber snake, Granny said, and her laugh was low and satisfactory. The boys were startled into more hysterics, and Granny looked at Vera sweetly. I'd forgotten all about that. Tracy got up to look into the cabinet under the sink. Go ahead, Granny said. They're still there. Tracy turned back in amazement. So Freddy went to the cabinet and peered in. Sure enough, to the right of the drain were two tiny little holes of light, just big enough for a fishing line. The boys looked back at their grandmother. He never knew, Granny gloated. To this day, Papa thinks that snake just had it out for him. That snake did have it out for him, Vera stated. He just doesn't know that snake was you. And even the boys laughed at their mom's slam, because the truth was the truth. Well, Granny sighed, I couldn't help myself, which was also true. Then Vera looked at the clock and came back to motherhood. Okay, men, Vera said, enough about snakes. Go and get yourselves packed up. The boys went to their room, slithering snakes across the yard and throwing axes and hoes into the air. Granny got more coffee, and Vera sat down. Hello, everyone. Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. Speaking of snakes, are things better with Bobby? Granny asked. I was about to ask the same about you and Moody, Vera snapped back. Granny and Vera spoke by phone every Sunday afternoon, but being in person made it more fun. Bobby's just a hard man, Vera continued. It's better when it's just us, and it's different having David home, just him, 
and the boy that's actually his. Freddy seems to be okay with him, Granny said. Yeah, Vera said. He gets along with Bobby, probably because they all come from that clan up the road. And Vera raised a brow. I see Freddy's father more and more in that little boy, and it worries me. Vera got up for another cup of coffee, marveling at her life decisions. A lot of them had to do with getting away from the person she was talking with, because it was Granny who pestered Vera to the point of escape. Bobby said the same kinds of things, belittling her as her mother had. But her husband's physical abuse wasn't something Vera ever expected. On the other hand, Vera always thought of herself as a city girl. She liked having nice things and being expected to dress up. At least Bobby let her have that. But Bobby and Tracy truly hate each other, Vera concluded. I can see why, Granny said flatly. Tracy sees Bobby's pride somehow, Vera agreed. And he knows when Bobby's in the wrong. And Vera realized it. Tracy knows immediately. It's uncanny, Ma, and it just makes Bobby meaner. You certainly have your hands full, Granny said, and flicked her cigarette ash. But I'm making it through, Vera said. The boys are getting older, and who knows, maybe they'll find something they can agree on. Then Vera took the boys home, but things didn't get better. Tracy and Freddy did help save their mother from evacuating the high-rise. Vera insisted on bringing her cast-iron skillets from West Virginia. She made pancakes on Saturday mornings, which could set off the fire alarm. The boys sat and watched cartoons until they heard the butter hit the pan. When the first billow of smoke eased from the kitchen into the dining room, Freddy got up to get a magazine. Tracy headed for the sliding door to the balcony. As the pancake smoke wafted through the living room, Tracy opened the door and Freddy fanned the smoke detector. They didn't want the alarm to go off again, or worse, have the neighbor's kids smell pancakes. If they did, they lined up by the door and shouted to be let in. If it was warm out, Tracy was careful to open the sliding door quietly. That way... The boys weren't seen on the playground either, and the boys could eat their pancakes in peace. But soon, Thanksgiving and Christmas trips back to Granny and Moody's brightened the gloom. Then, the next year began, along with the grind through the noise of the high-rise, the dirt of the school, and the grayness of the D.C. trees. In April, the great Mrs. Emma Moody died. She had lost knowledge of who and where she was. She stayed in Driss's old room because it calmed her. But in the middle of the night, she went to the bathroom and didn't make the turn. She went over the low railing and fell headfirst into the first-floor hall. She probably never realized she was gone. Great Papa Moody heard her fall from his bedroom, and he told Buddy, who ran the local bait store, I knew she was gone as soon as I heard her fall, the great Mr. Moody said. There was no point in calling anyone until morning. And he paused, missing her, before he looked at Buddy. But it was truly a blessing, 
Mr. Moody concluded. She is so much better off. So the steel-blue twinkle of Mrs. Moody's eyes went out at eighty-nine. It was dark the morning of her funeral, and it didn't seem fair a day so dismal was to celebrate a woman of such good humor. Yet the tiny town packed the Moody family's church, despite the rain. Overflow guests stood through the vestibule, down the steps, and wrapped themselves around the church, where they listened through the open, stained-glass windows under umbrellas. During the service, the heavens opened up and doused everything. Then, after the last hymn rang out loud enough for Jesus to hear, every last person went to the farm. Outside, Tracy tried to dry Moody's face from the rain, but he ducked away, and Granny explained the rain was a cover for his tears. Then the rain let up, cars filled the hayfield above the pig pen, and hundreds walked silently across the road. The casket led the crowd to the back side of the house where the family stones were flushed to the ground. Unless you knew, the family cemetery was just a well-kept lawn opposite the bullpen. Once Emma was laid to rest, the sun broke forth over a freshly washed world. In no time, bees were back on the peach blossoms, the birds sang, and the congregation was ready to eat. Food tables followed the semicircular driveway around the house. Eating tables were laid out five deep and eight long toward the meadow. Because everyone knew what everyone made, the meal was complete. Tracy's pawpaw also put out eight hams from the smokehouse, which was none too many. However, Moody stayed scarce to Tracy, and asked Vera to keep his boy at a distance. It would be too much for Moody while he said goodbye to his mother. He never spoke of it, but Moody's love for her and his family was unshakable, even though Granny had trumped it. But something changed after his mother died, and Moody went to the farm every few weeks. The great Mr. Moody had only turned one hundred that September, and had seven more years to go. Oddly, the way Emma died gave Richard ammo for still using the outhouse, and he had no use for artificial light. He read during the day, so there was no reason to switch a light on after sundown. As long as Richard lived, he also couldn't bring himself to use indoor plumbing, despite the fact his son was a plumber. The way his wife died proved his point beyond any doubt, because as far as the preacher born in 1875 was concerned, no one ever died using a slop jar in the dark. Over the next seven years, Moody brought his father canned goods and stocked his refrigerator. After breakfast, the two went outside. Moody set an old white metal chair underneath the locust tree, or under the porch if it rained, and he gave his father a haircut and shave. They didn't speak much, but looked over the farm from the top of the hill and down each side to whatever it contained, the cow pasture over the cornfield back to the woods, or the space of the garden through the orchard down to the meadow. With Mrs. Moody gone, the chicken coop was silent. The pig pen would soon be empty, and both knew it would all fall silent. But they knew the light would be back, eventually. 
Until then, the darkness gathered to do what it could to interrupt Moody and Tracy's lives. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table. <laughs>